New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we're talking with Nicola Chamberlain, uh, who is based at Sound Industries in Stockholm. Welcome along, Nicola. How are you? Hi, Paul. Um, I'm really good. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a great privilege to have you making yourself available. I know it's uh, rather early in the in the morning over there in Sweden, uh, but look, one of the things that has happened over the last few months is due to the the fun of social audio uh, and uh, Clubhouse and a little bit of Twitter Spaces. I've been meeting all sorts of people around the world, and you are one of those fabulous people that I've had the chance to meet. And so uh, I thought it'd be just be great to uh, tap in and uh, have a bit of a chat to you about, uh, you know, as a Kiwi who's uh, uh, really the other side of the planet, um, but has some, you know, I think from from our discussions, um, some really interesting insights that uh, I, th- I think our listeners would would enjoy hearing. So uh, maybe we can start with just sort of a little a little. Um, you know, overview of you know where you fit into this sort of world of technology and and design. Yeah, um, so uh, I'm I'm a yeah a, new, a Kiwi living in Stockholm, um, and I am actually today the design manager at Sound Industries, which is um, a company based in Stockholm who um, who make and design headphones for, for three different brands. So that's for Marshall, for um, Adidas, and for Urban Ears. Uh, cool. And um, Zound is with a, a, a Z, or a Z as they'd say in America. It is, but most of us actually just say. I, I realized when you when we talked about this now, um, sound. We just say sound industries. <laughs> so, well, we don't put that much emphasis on the Z. I think. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know. I guess yeah. that was just a, a creative idea at the time when the company was founded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, you know, I found it um, quite interesting. Sort of, you know, having a look at the things that you had done. Um, you know, over the years, you studied at Victoria University in um, in Wellington. Tell us a little bit about you know what you studied, um, because you've taken a different route into the tech world, and you're not so much at the geeky end of tech. You're very much at the the creative end, uh, which I think you know, is so important. And over the years, when we've talked about a lot of products on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, the industrial design elements. Have have increasingly become important, and in the early days, it was really Apple that differentiated on this front. And there weren't too many other brands that you would you would look and feel like that you were really enamoured with. You know, multiple aspects of the product other than the technical things, uh, but that's really changed over the years. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious to to hear a little bit about your your study and you know what uh, what attracted you to um, to study product design. At Victoria University, yeah, um, yeah, I did study at Vic, uh, and um, I, I studied what was called at the time industrial design. Actually, I started with architecture. I did a first year architecture, <laughs> uh, and then took some some industrial design papers, uh, and the, uh, fell in love with the idea of designing products. Um, so moved over to industrial design, and then uh, then I did that for four years. So 
Um, I studied with uh, with a guy called Ross Stevens, who was one of our lecturers at the time, an amazing um, designer and inspiring person. Who's one of the people I still think about today. Learned a lot. Um, and you know, we did things like um, you know, uh, really core cool, uh, sort of design training. We did uh, ergonomic studies. Uh, we did um, a lot of good creative process training. You know, how to sort of come up with a, a concept. Uh, we did concepts for the future. So I remember I did a, I did at the time. Um, this was over twenty years ago that I studied industrial design. We did a, a, a concept fridge uh, for for the future, for twenty twenty. <laughs> And, and the idea was that, that I actually came up with was a was a sort of a flower shaped fridge that you could um, actually was made of neoprene and you could put in the washing machine. Uh, and um, but I haven't seen any of those on the market, so maybe my forecasting was a little bit off. <laughs> <laughs> the idea was that instead of having to clean the fridge, which at the time I thought was a bit of a chore, you could actually just sort of um, peel this thing off the the the, out, the outer form and, and throw it in the washing machine. <laughs> sounds like sounds like a, yeah sounds like a, a good a good idea and uh, yeah I mean often still today and uh, um, I was going to say even even with Apple they, I mean they do get a lot of stuff right I noticed with the new Apple TV they've changed the remote to make it far less uh, confusing uh, because the previous remotes have not been as practical as the example uh, that you were describing they didn't consider the user of their technology to the same extent and. Um, what what would happen uh, for me at least, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, is the remote uh, was such that if you just picked it up, you could have it the wrong the wrong way up, um, yeah. and you wouldn't necessarily know. And you're sort of swiping and or you're pressing the buttons, and you think you're pressing you know volume up, and actually you're pressing you know oh boy. Um, so uh, yeah, so you you obviously um, you know have had a bit of a uh, an empathetic view on these things from uh, from reasonably early on. So how did you get from you know this studying industrial design to actually getting out into the workforce? Because probably not too many opportunities in New Zealand, uh, you know, certainly with with consumer types of brands and and so on and. Looking at yeah. your career, it, it does appear as though you've you've spent um, you know really spent it in other parts of the world, um, which, which yeah. means you've got you know all sorts of experiences and expertise that I wouldn't be able to get from somebody that that that's based here. Um, so yeah, I'm keen just to you know walk through um, you know some of those things that you've done. I see you've you've got um, yeah quite quite a mix from you know very much sort of consumer products um a vacuum cleaner brand there electrolux uh through to more techie companies like motorola um so yeah walk us through some of those yeah i mean i think um studying in new zealand um the you know foundation this industrial design course that i did at vic um was was um school of design and architecture was excellent, you know, and offered all the skills <laughs> needed in many ways. But uh, the market for design uh, in New Zealand at the time, which has changed a lot now, um, but was very, uh, very much focused on sort of more the industrial market. Um, so it was either um, products that are that were difficult to import, so so white goods because they're so heavy, so transporting them across the world. So Fisher and Paykel, you know, offered a few positions for designers or perhaps office furniture, um, companies like Formway, um, for example, uh, had a few few design roles. And at the time, there were just very, very few uh, 
design uh, jobs in New Zealand for product designers, people with working with physical product design. So I very quickly realized that, um, and and the rest of my, my classmates too, by the way, that we needed to probably um, uh, work, go and work overseas. Uh, so I, you know, put my backpack on <laughs> like most of us and uh, I'm, I can, you know, proudly say that I'm 46. <laughs> I'm getting not a spring chicken anymore. So this was some years ago. Um, but, you know, uh, and then just departed for, for Australia and, uh, and then on to, to Europe. So and you you've st- you basically started a, the the great uh, OE you know the overseas expedition um, that Kiwis do but but it's still going for you yeah exactly yeah. and at the time I mean I was very um, I was very um, adamant that I I didn't actually want to just I didn't actually it wasn't that interested in only traveling I really wanted to have a career in design so I had the goal of working uh, working as a product designer. So my all my travels were focused on, on making that happen. Uh, so in Australia, I ended up working with um, the brands uh, Sunbeam and then Breville, uh, making you know uh, toasters and, and uh, irons and kettles and uh, hair dryers and things like that. Uh, mostly focused on color material design, uh, and that's where I sort of started, got my sort of start in, in product design. Um, but from there, I I, um, I moved on to to Europe. Uh, at the time we were, I was living in, in Sydney and I, I thought, okay, um, uh, you know, if I really am going to get a sort of more advanced, <laughs> um, product design, um, experience, I really need to work, uh, with some of these other interesting consumer product companies as global brands. So then, um, moved to, to, uh, to the UK uh, uh, to try to sort of um, find work there and lived, uh, uh, as you do when you do this, I always ended up living in, in Italy for six months, <laughs> helping restore a B&B. But, um, <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a bit of variety yeah. you wouldn't have planned for. Yeah, that was also a great education. Um, I learned a bit about Italian wines <laughs> when I was there, but... Yeah, so so uh, in in the UK, I worked for as you said Motorola, um, but before actually worked for Motorola, I worked uh, at Electrolux for some time. So I'm not doing this chron- chronologically, but <laughs> I was uh, you know basically having the goal of of working for these different companies. So I worked with Electrolux um, first, designing uh, vacuum cleaners, and. At that time, we were working with um, what was uh, then the first bagless vacuum cleaners that had um, com- come onto the market. So this uh, this technology at the time had come onto the market because Dyson, you know, had disrupted the vacuum cleaner market with this bagless technology. And all the other brands, including Electrolux at the time, really wanted to to enter the market um, with uh, with their own uh, variant on bagless. So that, that was something I worked with at the time, which was that must really, have been really quite fun. fascinating. Um, it, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had um, I was with Dyson actually um, just the, the, this week and. It's not the normal sort of company that you know. I wouldn't normally expect to sort of interact with a you know brand that's making vacuum cleaners and hair dryers and and so on. But they really fascinate me because of their focus on design 
and on doing things you know differently to others and really sort of innovating from from a tech perspective so yeah i'm kind of curious what it must have what it must have been like inside i guess you could say a company that's somewhat disrupted right because you know electrolux was really the big or you know one of if not these sort of biggest um vacuum brands there for a number of years right exactly and i mean um so yeah, so I wasn't working for Dyson. Dyson were disrupting the market with their uh, bagless technology. I mean, what a company! I think it's such a good example of um, of really passionate engineers <laughs> who are kind of uh, uh, really w- wanting to solve problems, um, and then you know combining that with um, with a very um, clear um, uh, product archetype, format, um, and shape, and form, and, and expression. So to help people understand the 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 new technology that they've created to really emphasize that. Um, so Dyson were doing that at the time and, and still are, but they were doing that at the time and disrupting the market. And I was at Electrolux and Electrolux, uh, you know, were the sort of almost the, the big incumbent, uh, still a huge uh, organization and company. And, um, but we're really, you know, aware that uh, these, this uh, newer actor <laughs> was, um, was taking a, a big portion of their, their potential market share. So really wanted to also um, enter the market with Bagless. So then they also had a bunch of really, really uh, smart engineers <laughs> um, who, who I got to work with at the time. And um, there we were, you know, working with centrifugal um, suction which is this way of sort of uh, moving the dust <laughs> uh, that enters a vacuum cleaner to the outside of the dust chamber so that you can you know it doesn't sort of just um uh, get collected and have nowhere to go um uh and so that that required totally new forms um and and a new format for the vacuum cleaner so it was a really interesting design challenge uh and uh also you know new new materials transparent uh transparent materials and things like that so you could see as a customer what was happening and uh, if you had a, a full chamber of dust for example uh, totally new filters and things like that so uh, even though simple pretty simple products vacuum cleaners comparative to say uh, headphones which have you know now these advanced sensors and so on um, still still pretty interesting technology at the time yeah. yeah, I'm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, you know disruption and innovation and and um, you know these things that really take us forward. But I'm also interested in um, you know the sort of the broader aspects. So for a company like Electrolux, who have been you know the the leading player, and then someone's come along and you know effectively sort of you know disrupted and impacted where they're at. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious what that was like being on the inside and whether there were any lessons that you came away with because this is probably a reality for you know most businesses to one degree or another. They're being impacted by new technology and new innovations and yeah. not everyone can be part of the disruptor. You know, the, the, the bulk of the, the sector, you know, might not be. And some of those firms, of course, you know, can be gone. And mm. other ones will figure out how to navigate and um, and still find a place. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what, I mean, what were your thoughts? I think, um, I, I mean, I, I, I think 
I was, I'm really fascinated and excited by companies who completely disrupt the market as well. And it's a very hard thing to do. But sometimes, I mean, it's also just um, something that is just by nature part of the creators in the company. It's just kind of they can't help themselves. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it's just what they think needs to be done. I think that's the case with Dyson. Um, um, and... Um, at the time, uh, it's really interesting being part of a, a large organization that has um, that is in a market that's been disrupted or the market has been threatened because um, at the time, um, you know, the idea of, of even entering the market with a, this totally new format and what was uh, for the company at the time new technology was a real question mark. Um, you know, there was a sort of should they even try to do uh, bagless vacuum cleaners or should they stick with um, what their their brands were known for um, in terms of tech and so on. Uh, so, yeah, I think the big takeaway there is that <laughs> um, if the market's being disrupted, it just is, full stop, <laughs> and you can't ignore it. Uh, and even though it might feel very um, – it, it often – Internally in organizations, if you need to depart from what is the current norm, uh, it's very, it's uh, quite challenging and it can always feel very uncomfortable and uh, unsafe for, for people, everyone, you know, working together in the organization. So um, the takeaway from that is, you know, um, even though it feels that way, <laughs> uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't. Uh, you can't. You have to do something anyway. Typically, you can't um, not react. You can't not respond somehow to that to that market disruption. You need to act, um, and uh, even if it feels uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, so, so yeah. That, that and at the time that was and the the role of designers in that um, is really key because what we could do is I remember you know I, I sat in many meetings and there was you know you know I was on a project which was almost cancelled about five times <laughs> which was one of the first vacuum uh, bagless vacuum cleaners and I think at the time um, design what design could do was really make tangible the opportunity um, for, for 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 Electrolux at the time by making you know um, uh, really good concepts, um, you know, and together with the engineering team, um, and making them, you know, um, and showing how they could be relevant to to the brand, and showing how they could be relevant to the customers that were currently even buying uh, buying buying bag vacuum cleaners, um, by making you know tangible concepts and models and ideas and things you could try, um, and uh, and. I would just say that that's the that's the key thing to do, and even if in the end as 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 a company that's maybe being disrupted or whose market's being threatened, you decide that you're not going to um, say um, enter the space with a direct com- competitive product or whatever it might be, or service. You you need to decide that very consciously. You need to have explored it and then. Um, um, and and made it a thorough investigation, and not just by sort of talking about it, and you know, perhaps creating some graphs and <laughs> doing the numbers. You've actually got to uh, try to uh, prototype what you think might be an answer to that. And then, if you say no, but this is still not something we we can really do well, or uh, this is not going to be uh, competitive enough for us, or you know, this is not what we should do right right now. We should wait for two years. You do it consciously. 
So, mm. yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, a, a discussion I had recently was with somebody at uh, Swatch, and it yeah. was you know the discussion on whether they were getting Swatch. getting into <laughs> smartwatches and and. Yeah, what what that uh, future looks like uh, for them? Because you, I mean, you look certainly at how Apple have done in watches, and it, you know, it's a crazy multi million dollar, uh, multi billion dollar business. I think for for mm. them now, um, but you know, Swatch was was kind of the brand, and in many countries, they still have you know a really strong uh, a strong presence. And you know, that I guess they're they're probably in a you know a similar. Uh, type of position to what Electrolux was, and and I mean especially Swatch, very much a design led business, and yeah. yet yeah they they have um, no doubt some some challenging thinking and research and experimentation to uh, to do, and yeah you can imagine that at some point in time they're going to have to have a more uh, te- technological offering to stay stay relevant I mean, and they don't have to but uh, you can you can imagine that um yeah they'll, they'll certainly be thinking through that stuff to you know that's, that's such a good example of a brand that you know the sort of um that every brand is being disrupted by these really large um sort of like almost the global powerhouse <laughs> tech brands you know uh, apple amazon you know <laughs> the, the the biggies um, you know that they, they um, uh, Google. You know, this is such a good example of how you know every, almost every sector um, and every type, and particularly in, in consumer product. Even if you, you you think you didn't have a tech product, <laughs> um, you suddenly you have a product which is is being threatened by some some sort of te- technology development. So Swatch is such a good example of that. So they they probably do. I would say. Um, my point of view, which is I've got many opinions, but uh, from my point of view, that they would um, definitely uh, need to ex- explore it, and I imagine that they're doing a lot of work in that space to explore how they, what their role is there, and how they, how how they, um, you know, what their position in the technology sphere is. I would say. Yeah, everyone has to evolve, don't they? Otherwise, yeah, you... everyone has to have a position. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And so um, any any of the other roles that you've done that you wanted to uh, delve into, there was, you know, Motorola, uh, you were with McKinsey and Company in there as well. Any other yeah. highlights from uh, from those? Yeah, I, I was then fortunate to work for Motorola and Motorola was amazing because uh, this was during the, the golden days of the Razor, uh, which was, you know, the fit phone, which was super thin uh, that everyone had. Um uh, and um, I, at the time, that was that was also super disruptive <laughs> product. And from that, we were creating many different variants of flip phones that, that were also offering a super thin, um, uh, you know, three G was coming <laughs> into the market, um, uh, and so on. And and um, color material design at that time. So working with really. Um, much more premium finishes on on mobile phones and devices was uh, starting to be really it had be had become important to the category. So at Motorola they had um, and at the time they I think they probably focused a bit too much on CMF color material design and not enough on uh, on things like the emerging smart. <laughs> 
smartphone technology and um, touchscreen technology and so on. Yes, yeah, so I remember I think I had one of those phones where that was my sort of um, – I would do a chunk of business in Australia and I'd, so I'd be over there every every month and so, you know, I got an Australian number and SIM card and, you know, part of that I guess I got one of one of, one of these uh, Motorola Razr sort of variants and, yeah, it looked, it looked very premium in terms of the, the medals and everything else um, but I'm I'm pretty sure – you know, my primary phone was, you know, was some form of uh, smartphone at, at that point. But, uh, yeah, Motorola wasn't really, um, you know, didn't have too much of a play in that uh, in that space at that stage. No, and we were exploring um, uh, smartphone you know, te- technology and, um, and, and touchscreens and so on at the time. But, you know, like Nokia, um, just, um, you know, a bit, a bit behind um, and obviously, really, again, business really threatened by <laughs> by Apple's uh, launch of the iPhone. Um, but 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 what I I learned so much about material technology and production technology. So they had the time Motorola had um, these amazing people. I think they even have some still some really great people there who were like ex NASA engineers. So they were um, <laughs> experts in these sort of. Um, you know, specialist alloys and you know, very thin, you know, metal, metal technologies and metallization technologies and um, glass. They had people who were just expert on glass. So they, they, and they did a lot of, you know, collaboration with Corning and other, um, the big, the big sort of global uh, glass uh, manufacturers. So they had at the time, I remember their uh, technology um, pipeline for the things that they were developing, that they were innovating in terms of um, material and, and production and manufacturing techniques for these to make these tiny devices um, and very thin products was uh, was about 300 different technologies that were in, in development. Um, and every, every I think it was almost every week at the time, we'd have a follow-up on what the, um, the progress of the different technologies and development was with each of the different suppliers and specialists who we were working with. So I learned a great deal about how things were made. And that's one of the things that, um, as an industrial designer, um, graduating from, you know, from a design school in New Zealand, was just um, such a, it was a really foundational school for me. Um, and to learn about how these sort of very advanced um, consumer products are made because the level of, um, of specialist um, technology and manufacturing that goes into making them and making them feel like they do um, and uh, and make them as small as they are um, is very different to, say, a, a a, um, a lawnmower or <laughs> a washing machine or something like that, which is uh, a simpler a simpler product. So I learned a lot when yeah, I was there. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm just curious, do you recall, you know, what was the sort of the life cycle to, you know, start working on a new phone through to it hitting the hitting the market um, at that point? Yeah, at the time it was um, actually about 12 months. Um, some, but a lot of the, um, what was uh, the pipeline or pre-development work was happening Two, two to three years prior to that. Um, so the development of um, some of the, the metal um, uh, technologies for making some of the housings and so on. And the metal hinges at the time were, was, was a big thing. But some of these, for example, on, on the iPhone, some of these 
these tiny button technologies and so on it takes several years to to develop wow yeah. um and now you ended up um before you joined Zound, you were um, or Sound, uh, you were with McKinsey and Company, and and at this yeah. stage you were you were in Sweden, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I after I I, I um, worked for Motorola, I um, I came back to Sweden um, and worked uh, started consulting. Uh, worked at a design agency called Veriday. And we were a multidisciplinary, it's called, in design, which means you've got different different types of design specialties. So you've got uh, product designers, you've got interaction designers that are, you know, good at doing um, the, the, in particular, the digital interaction. So the designers you'll see working a lot on the things that the applications we have on our mobile phones, for example, you can't be basically done without an interaction designer today. <laughs> um and uh, we had um, we had a lot of uh, really specialist design research competence uh, in the studio. Uh, we had specialist ergonomics, um, uh, and we had um, the creative design engineers in the studio who were doing quite a lot of innovation for for medtech and so on. So we were a multidisciplinary design studio, and um, it, it's a studio that started in the 60s with the um, late 60s, very Swedish, with a very functional design, human-centered design uh, um, approach to, uh, to to problem solving, um, and almost a little bit political. <laughs> um, I, uh, an agency that um, you know in 1969 said, you know. A lot of design is just surface. It's it's just you know bullshit. Basically, public services are not well designed. You know we want to really we want to design things that people can actually make life better and actually help people. So that was the the ethos of the company and the foundation. And this was a strong part of the culture uh, and the, the competence that that was in the the agency. Um, so I learned a lot about you know. Designing for the needs of people, um, the real needs of people, and actually designing things that work well and function, and the importance of that. I uh, worked on uh, public sector projects, so uh, a Stockholm um, underground uh, C30 train, which is now running, uh, which is nice. Um, Fantastic! Uh, yeah, a, I know. What a cool opportunity! So, what did you <laughs> yeah. what did you do on the train? What was the we we um, we actually worked with Bombardier on the uh, original uh, tender for the so we uh, together with their design team we uh, collaborated with them on creating the the pitch concept for the train and then subsequently worked with them on the early um, uh, on sort of developing out the early vision that won the tender for um for um uh, for uh, for implementation into product development basically so we did the um this you know we collaborated on the seating concepts and the interior uh in the interior um concept including the lighting and um uh, seating flow uh, and things like that um, and so that was a, a massive collaboration project with a lot of stakeholders Stockholm city stakeholders but also other design partners a company here in Stockholm called design it on the seating and um, uh, specialist CMF um, 
a woman called Jenny, oh, whose last name has escaped me, that's terrible, um, working on the textiles. And we worked with a Swedish uh, textiles company to do the early textiles concepts and so on. And then our team internally, who are a mix of ergonomists, interaction designers, product designers. Uh, so that, that project was a really exciting one, and a big public sector project. But then we yeah. also worked, um, worked, collaborated with other uh, large tech incumbents on things like um, future of TV, future of uh, mobile, and so on. So a lot of, um, you know, probably I would say typical agency projects where clients really needed to understand, okay, where is our business going? How can we, you know, how can we um, find a tangible way to see to see where our business might be going in terms of our products and services? And then, you know, create actually creating um, different uh, different uh, concepts and directions for those clients, but with a foundation of research, um, you know, that, whether it be research with their customers or. Um, even within their business, with their business stakeholders. So yeah. Now, one thing that I find really satisfying, um, you know, with, within the work that myself and my team do, is when we see something that we've developed. You know, it's usually you know, so, say software based. We've developed some software. Um, you know, maybe it's at some sort of, you know, the visual interface. Maybe it's some output PDFs and printouts and things that come out but actually sort of seeing the results where all this work sort of gone in behind the scenes and you see the results what's that like with these you know physical things like seeing a train that you've been involved in and then actually like being able to ride the thing that uh, must be pretty cool yeah um yeah it's uh um it's very exciting and i think it keeps me um and uh, it keeps me engaged in in the work that I do in working with, uh, with physical, uh, digital you know, product experiences, working with things that are quite tangible because it's, it's really, really fun. <laughs> like there's nothing more exciting than getting, um, uh, you know, like for example, getting, uh, getting a product in your hand and, um, that came off production and even something that's not textured and looks very rough. Or I remember standing in that, in the concept for the C30, um, uh, Tanobana, one of the carriages, and it was basically um, it's pr- prototyped out of cardboard and foam core. Wow. Um, and you know, we had um, um, fluorescent tube lighting, which we were walking around with, you know, holding up, yeah, <laughs> and you know, yeah. to to test out different lighting um, ideas. And um, we had um, we had um, you know, like just simple office chairs that we were like putting around in the space to. Uh, to prototype, you know, different uh, seating arrangements and, um, you know, um, having, you have that in your mind. And then when you, you go into the, the final result, um, you get this kind of flashbacks to the sketches on the paper where we had like, um, come up with a particular idea for the lighting. So lighting around the door, for example, or, um, you know, the, there's a few moments where we, I can, I can actually have a flashback to standing in the room, which is just filled with like, you know, sketches and prints, and it's just a kind of a mess of collaborating, <laughs> kind of collaborative chaos. Um, where we, we had the team of designers with all of these different, you know, cutouts of materials and and things, and we actually came up with the idea for the textile concept, you know. And I, I kind of I have this moment where I'm flashback to that when I and I see this idea, this little uh, figure of um, 
a, uh, a pedestrian, someone or a, a citizen of Stockholm or of, of, of Sweden walking uh, on the, the, we had this idea of having this little silhouette walking on the, on the textile, which is um, this abstraction of an, an old 60s um, um, civic pattern called Platan in the centre of Stockholm. And I have this, you know, flashback of when we actually sketched that, when we had the idea, and we were like, "Oh, wouldn't it be good if we did this?" <laughs> so it's really, it's, there's nothing like it. It's it's probably one of the most fun things you can. I mean, I can't say enough about how fun it is. <laughs> wow! Oh, that's cool. It sounds like I mean, you've obviously re- you really found uh, your niche. And look, I mean, it, it is satisfying when you're doing, you know, very like software and and tech, and you're developing something you know is gonna you know, help somebody be successful in, in their work or, you know, help an organisation uh, do better and, and achieve more and so on. But, yeah, there's something something special about seeing those um, those physical results. Now, you talked a little bit, a lot about, you know, paper and, you know, what what sounds sort of, you know, quite non-digital. Um, <laughs> is that sort of, you know, how is that sort of the, the role of technology, you know, played a part within your career? Is that varied a lot from from role to role and company to company in terms of their culture and their approach how how's that played out yeah that's a great question um i mean um i would say in the last three years i mean it the way even the way we collaborate and do our work as designers but also what we're designing digitally uh, has completely transformed i mean it's transformed in the last 10 years but it's sped up so much in the last three years. And this year it's sped up, you know, dramatically. So, um, so first of all, before you can have like, for example, one of our, um, uh, this, this actually does have, this have some, no, this is, this is uh, one of our original, um, urban Listeners air. aren't going to be able to quite see what you're talking about, but you've no, got some, uh, I'm you... going to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the audience space. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So I'm holding in my hand one of our original uh, corded um, headphones for our brand Urban Ears, which has this, um, um, you know, uh, 3.5 jack um, that, you know, you you plug into your your phone or your device or your computer. And this is, this doesn't include that much technology, this product. Uh, There's not that much, you know, this is, it's not wireless, uh, it's not connected and so on. And you know, it wasn't that long ago that you could actually, do, you know, that, that was a that was a pretty pretty okay headphone. That was pretty good, um, and it is still a very good headphone, by the way. But you know, it's almost impossible now to not have some sort of form of connectivity or digital connectivity in the products, and even very supposedly analog products um, like you know soap dispensers and things like that uh, start to have sort of connectivity in the products. And so that means as a designer. That the problem, um, the design problem is um, sort of exponentially larger. You've got a physical um, object that, if you're working with a physical product um, or context, that you need to design to design for. So it needs to be able to fit the the person. You know, it needs to varying head shapes and sizes uh, and so on. If it's headphones um, and ear ear sizes and shapes. Uh, and uh, and it needs to work in different environments. So if you're a bit sweaty, or if um, you're moving your head a lot, or um, if you need to wear the device for long periods of time, all those physical, you know, <laughs> problems you need to design for, um, or situations. But then also you need to actually design um, all the digital interactions. So you need to consider that. 
that it should work with lots of different devices and platforms. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, I would say the design challenge has, has more than doubled um, with the increase of, um, of uh, digitization in our world. Right. But on the flip side, you've got more technology available to, you know, say scale, have a, I don't know, test things out in terms of in a, you know, in a digital world in terms of, you know, different, I don't know, aspects, sort of sizings and things like that. Is it, you know, how much can you do on a screen with the technology that sort of, you know, virtualizes what you would, you would normally have, you know, in years gone by, you know, had to have more prototype iterations and, and so on. And, of course, 3D printing's in the mix, I imagine. Just how different is it? I don't know. I just feel like I just want to say it's – I don't know how different it is. It's just like more, more, more. But, yeah, yeah you're right. We're doing um, – so it's as though we're doing – we're just doing more, So which means that things are in a way getting better but also more complex. So, um, yeah, we're doing a lot more simulation. So um, – and we're able to um, – you know, the, the tools for 3D modeling and so on are getting easier um, to use, you know, visualization and rendering, so making um, really high-definition visualizations, you know, photorealistic pictures of, uh, of our ideas um, is getting much faster, computational power is quicker, so you can do it before, you know, to have to leave something running overnight and, and then come back for one image and now you can get, you know, get a, a ton of images out, um, you know, in, in an hour, maybe 20 or 30, depending on your, you know, what you're, what you're wanting to do. So all of that, imagine that instead of having to wait overnight, then you can just do it uh, really quickly. Um, actually, my team would probably crack up when they hear this because if they listen, <laughs> because not all of them have, so you need pretty good machines to be able to do that, but, but it's fully possible. Uh, not everyone's equipped at the moment. We're working on that. <laughs> so well, it's a, it's a, that's a constant thing, isn't it, in terms of the investment that you have to put in <laughs> and you've got to weigh up, you know, what level of computing do you put where with yeah. who and and so on. And it does, it's, nev, it's never going to stop, right? So um, yeah. that, that's part of what you have to sort of weigh up in terms of, well, we can throw another, you know, X amount of dollars at, um, you know, new piece of technology here, but it's always got to pay for itself, doesn't it? You know, ultimately, you know, these these are tools, and they've got to give a they've got to give a return. But what? I, yeah, they do, and um, and I mean, the tools are expensive, as you know, <laughs> Paul. You're you're a really expert on this, but um, but at the same time, um, typically, especially when we're we're working um, in the tech sector. Um, we do need to a uh, speed is is important. Uh, so speed is a, a good reason to <laughs> to invest uh, in a way. Uh, it seems uh, so, so. So that, that helps yeah, you compete, doesn't it? As well as uh, as well as just the productivity aspect of you know you you it costs you know time time is money from a productivity perspective. If yeah. you you know if it takes you six months longer than your competition to develop a product and you come up with something that's somewhat similar but they're six months ahead of you, well, you know, you might not sell very many or any sort of thing of a of a product if it's too late to the market, yeah? I mean, absolutely, and and, and, and it's a real challenge. And I think, um, so I, w- I would say, yeah, more, more, more. And with 3D printing, for example, we have this amazing new 3D printer which goes a lot faster from Formworks and um, – and I think of um, uh, one of the designers on my team, Adam Henriksen. His desk, basically, 
for one of the, the true wireless products that he's working on is I think there must be over a hundred different little prototypes that he's got on his desk, uh, which he's just con- constantly, you know, um, working on and printing out. So I think people um, who are working with design now, designers are able to just um, do more in a sense. Um, that there's there's more there's more we're able to 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 actually um, produce and try because of the tools that are available. Um, so, and that's more fun as well because I mean that you know if you can do the ideas in your head uh, as a designer, then um, you, you're you know you're pretty happy <laughs> and sometimes just you know actually just um the the physical barriers of being able to uh manifest the the ideas in your head are uh you know the biggest challenge in a way so no we're much more enabled now and and we do see the fruits of that uh of those those tools um in a lot of the the craft of what we're doing in a way and all of the prototyping and uh, and the making that we're doing yeah, that's cool. So delving into the company you're with now is um, Sound Industries. Um, you've got these um, three brands that are, you know, I mean, they're brands that, well, there's Marshall, there's Adidas, you mentioned, and then um, Urban Airs, which is, you know, well, in, in all cases, it's it's audio. But, of course, audio today is, is you know, so heavily, you know, technology-enabled that um, you know you are you are deeply engaged with with technology from start to finish. But when I th- when I thought about those um, those those brands, um, I mean Marshall for you know for 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 listeners that sort of know the Marshall brand, which has been around for a, you know a, a very long time, very very iconic in terms of their guitar amps. Um, when I saw that product sort of start coming into the market, and I, you know, I don't know when that was, but when I first saw it, I mean, it was just immediately such an enticing product in terms of, in terms of the design, in terms of like the 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 memories of of you know seeing these, you know, these amps and and so on from you know whether it was at a live show or uh, you know friends that would you know play the guitar and and. Uh, you know, ha- have a you know Marshall lamp or what have you. It's just uh, you know just fascinating to um, yeah to to see the product. So I'm kind of you know curious like how does it work being with this business that has these three quite different different brands that each really have to have their own um, identity. Um, mm-hmm. But behind, I'm presuming that behind the scenes with the technology. What you can do is, you know, you get the technology piece right and then you kind of, you know, you've got to meld that technology with the design so they each have their, you know, their own identity. But you must get some benefit from, you know, leveraging what happens um, on the technology standpoint and then kind of, you know, customising and, and, you know, landing with, um, you know, what what are, um, you know, three three very different brands. And, I mean, I take it that with... From my recollection, that the um, the Urban Ears was was a brand of um, Sound Industries that they've sort of built themselves or acquired yeah, at some point. That's, yeah, that's and true. then the other two are ones where they've licensed the brand, but you know, built a product exactly. that um, obviously 
um, mm. you know, works well and, 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 you know, fits with, um, with the existing brand. Yeah, that's right. So um, Urban Airs is the, the founder brand. Uh, it's, our, it's our own brand and um, mostly known in, in the Swedish and Scandinavian markets. Um, it's our, you know, it's, it's, it's a smaller um, brand. But then we were fortunate enough to, you know, to um, actually build these relationships with Marshall and with Adidas for consumer audio. So for Marshall, we call it this this visual expression that you talk about, this sort of design. Um, we call it the DNA of the brand. And um, Marshall's, yeah, it's an amazing brand to design for um, because um, it's such a... Um, uh, a rich and inspiring uh, story um, that, that, that behind the brand, and also designing for for the um, the people that love the brand, that love the products, uh, is also really inspiring because the people who buy the products are, you know, they're really diverse as all <laughs> all, all people are, um, and, and but they tend to um, have a special. Um, a special love for the products that little bit extra um, they're, they're typically buying them because they really uh, you know care about um, music often um, as many people do actually music is a as a as a passion for for many people so this isn't in no way sort of like a, um, a comment about you know that there's like only a niche number of people who are, who are passionate about music <laughs> there's a awesome. huge number of people who, um, yeah. that have been the, the buyers of our um, of our Marshall products um, uh, really do um, tend to appreciate the the um, the relationship um, that that they that Marshall has with really um, authentic you know music experiences and really authentic and good audio so um, so it's a pretty cool, pretty cool customers. We we love our customers. I mean, every company should love their customers, but um, I mean, we love our customers, and they're such an inspiration for us and and what we do. And this is so important because, yeah, there's a lot of tech in the products, and there is no good, you know, um, speaker or, or headphones without a really good um, acoustics, uh, without really uh, really well functioning connectivity. Actually, connects to your phone and. It, <laughs> And you can actually play music when you want to, uh, and it's uh, as as least thresholds as possible, so you don't have to push, you know, fifty buttons to actually <laughs> get your playlist going. Um, uh, that is, you know, that is really important, and that is one of the goals. And the reason for that is because um, we we don't think it's it isn't tech first. I mean, tech is there, and we can't ignore it. But it's um it's it's the people first and what they actually want to do. You know they want to listen to their music. Um, they want to um, you know have a party with their mates and uh, stream um, their playlists and so on to, to a shared speaker or whatever it might be. Uh, so um, for Marshall, Marshall is a real human centered brand. You know it's it's not about um, not necessarily about tech first, but the tech. Um, level is there to provide the quality of the experience so we put a lot of effort into it we put a ton of effort we have a genius uh, acoustic engineering team um, 
and I think, <laughs> um, and um, who are coming up with really amazing um, acoustic concepts. Um, for example, the acoustic concepts for this tiny little portable speaker I have in my hand called Emberton is um, allowing us to get like a real punch in the volume uh, that you can get out of this little product to the point where people sort of go, wow, that's pretty loud. <laughs> Uh, and they really appreciate it. So there's a lot of effort that's gone into the tech, but probably even more effort in, into, or equal effort into that. You know, it's in a it's in a good size, so you can actually put it in your bag. Uh, you can. Um, uh, it feels really good because the materials feel really good uh, touch to the hand. Uh, it's got a really nice little navigation, um, what we call a jog, uh, so that you, which has uh, you know, a really nice material feel and. and uh, sort of brass um, so that you can actually you know um, navigate the volume uh, really easily and so on so all of that um, which makes the product actually pretty nice pretty nice to have and nice to use so tech is important but not more important than actually making these products accessible usable and and desirable <laughs> for, for our customers yeah and I, and I think you know over the yeah, the last, and I don't know when you. Yeah, you can you can't put an exact sort of line in the sand because you know there have been brands in the technology sphere for a long time. Um, you know that that where you know design has has taken a, a you know really really important um, focus. But you know I think if we we look today, it probably has much more of a um, an, an importance than it did in years gone by. Where just you know, there there was a, a time where it was it was really about the specifications and you know the numbers and the and the, those technical aspects. But today, there really is that um, that deep integration between the the, the design that uh, you know is is really there to you know I guess it's a, it's a mix of things, isn't it? You know, it creates that emotional you know connection you know with a product when you just see something that. That, that you love, whether it's a, an artwork or a physical product or a sculpture or you know, anything else that, you know, the visual aspects are, are important. Uh, but then, you know, when it's a product that you're buying that's been sold over and over and over, um, you know, it just need, it needs to work well. It needs to, you know, be, be designed to, uh, to, to really fit the purpose. Um, and the, the technology, of course, is... Um, is certainly part of that, and you know we've seen companies that maybe make something that looks really good, but then the technology piece is, is rubbish, and that doesn't uh, that doesn't work well um, either. So, um, in terms of bringing bringing those together, um, mm. you know how how does it work within um, within Zound, you know, across the brands? Have you got you know how how does that break down in terms of the the technological expertise um, mm. that that you have to sort of you know cross over with and yeah, I guess you've you've got to um, you've got to make these things work work together and um, you know tick the boxes in, in a whole range of areas. Yeah, yeah. So we um, um, our design team um, we have a design team which um, a big proportion of it, so um, uh, ten plus people work across the brands. Um, and then we have some dedicated designers who really look after um, senior designers, which we call uh, creative design leads, which really um, 
uh, focused on each of the brands and look after what we call the the design DNA. Um, and they, you know, they partner w- w- with um, a role we call product owner, which um, is a, co- a common role in, in product development for both digital uh, products and services and digital physical products and services, um, who are sort of portfolio owners. And then um, we have a super talented team of um, creative engineers, mechanical engineers, creative technologists, acoustic engineers. Uh, electronics and um, and software engineering, um, who um, who work uh, together with our designers uh, on the projects, and I mean we we work you know um, when we're physically in the studio they they're often just sitting right beside each other, um, and <laughs> you know kind of almost uh, not on each other's laps that would be wrong but. <laughs> No, but um, really In closely. Quite close quarters, yeah. Yeah, closely, you know, collaborating and, you know, yeah. um, figuring out uh, whether it be a physical detail of, of, uh, of a form or, um, you know, a technology stack up where we're going to arrange components and so on. Um uh, or in you know in the acoustics lab testing out um, how something feels uh, on the air and whether it fits, um, but also how it sounds at the same time. So you can't kind of do one without doing the other um, together. You have to do it in tandem to make it really work. And in particular with these really small devices, to make this amazing technology, um, uh, and I say it's amazing because it really is, because we're talking really tiny, <laughs> tiny small components um, to make them actually fit and work um, and be relevant for people, um, you know, in their lives um, to, to make it sort of human. <laughs> um, you, you really need to work with it iteratively to make it small enough, for example, to fit in the air um, and, um, you know, things like working with, you know, not think that, the, the battery doesn't heat up or, you know, get too, too warm or, you know, all kinds of different um, aspects um, of the, the technology, but related to um, how we want it to work for people. So, for example, how small we want it to be or how we want it to feel. You can't do one without closely sort of iterating on it together um, with the, without the other. So, so we work in, in uh, collaborative teams to do that yeah cool uh, yeah i mean it must be um must be a really really interesting you know journey working uh working through and developing the you know the products and you know working with the different um you know different folks and their different skill sets because yeah you you all play a play a part in coming out with the end product um yeah. Again, how, I mean, how does it feel once the once the product's finished, and you know how much like how much attention do you pay to you know things like uh, reviewers and um, you know bloggers and you know people that are actually you know looking at and just the general public that will go and review these things on you know the I don't know the Amazon dot coms and and so on of this world, and you're kind of getting. You know, you get you get this feedback not only on whether anybody buys the product, but then, you know, how people feel about how it sounds, how robust it is, how it looks, the battery life. And I was looking at the um, uh, Marshall Headphones um, website, the the you know NZ um, version, 
of it um, and, you know, came up with a monitor to um, yeah. active noise cancelling headphones. And I'm sort of looking through and going, hey, this, this, uh, this looks pretty good. You've got some, you know, pretty impressive um, battery life. Was, I think it says 45 hours, um, you know, playback with Bluetooth only, 30 hours with with noise cancelling, it's like, man, this, you know, this, this sounds, you know, really cool. But once it hits re- reviewers, of course, um, you know, they, they come back with whatever all their sort of criticisms and so on. How, do, how does that feel? Because it's very unusual to get a product where everyone's going to absolutely love it, love it, and especially when you're charging at a premium sort of, you know, price point. So what, what's that side of it like? Um, yeah, I can tell you we pay close, close attention to the reviewers, uh, yeah. and, and, and they're very important to us. Um, and um, we, I mean, we're a relatively small company, so we're, we're 200 people in total, um, about 50 people um, in, our, in, our, in our China office. And I think um, we, we are a company that are um, more and more, I could say almost on a daily basis, um, uh, working with how we actually um, capture uh, our customer feedback, our review feedback from, say, the professional reviewers, but also from just anyone who's buying and using our products. Uh, and giving us feedback, um, how we actually capture that because you get it from many, many different channels. You get it either from e- emails or you get it from blog posts or you get it from, you know, review comments or, you know, friends and family. Uh, friends and family can be the harshest reviewers, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but at the same time, those um, are so valuable. All of that feedback is so valuable. And then what we um, – we, we try to um, capture that and then um, we um, uh, then turn that into uh, into um, um, into you know changes right often running changes on the product so if it's an issue where we have we have desi- either designed in or a um, uh, a behavior or an interaction that is um, the people are finding difficult, or if it's um, uh, something people are dissatisfied with in terms of the tech spec, or in terms of just uh, a, could be a bug or something like that. Because with digital products, you'll almost always get um, some forms of, of bugs that need to be constantly updated and fixed. So when they, we feed that back in uh, into our um, uh, organization, and then um said about um doing what we call engineering change requests so uh uh updates and changes on all the products that we can and if we can't update and change an existing product to improve it um we then um capture that feedback uh, for the next generation of products so for us um it's it's pretty hard at times to to read a uh, say a harsh review and they're not all harsh um but um well, people can be pretty vocal, right? If they've got a problem, they're often a lot more vocal than those that actually love the product. Yeah, but I mean, quite right. And I mean, to be honest, it's it actually is a gift. It really is. I mean, um, you know, years ago, you didn't really know. It was like a black box. You'd get you'd you know send out your product, and you had no contact to the customer. You didn't really know. I mean, if they were, they might have been telling everyone they they could talk to on the street and at the school and at the, 
workplace and at the shop and everywhere else that they this product was absolutely rubbish and they, they can't believe how terrible it was. Um, but you wouldn't know as a brand. You had no idea uh, before on the internet. <laughs> uh, and, and now, you know, you actually do, you can find out. You you actually get quite good feedback. Um, and um, doing something about that is uh, is the the goal, you know. You, you should actually, you know, that's, that's what we aim to do. And um, it is challenging um, uh, to always act on that feedback, um, in particular when you've, you've launched a product. Huh? But at the same time, it really is a gift. <laughs> so we, 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 we track all the reviews and we share feedback and reviews um, around the studio and we, you know, and at the office and I talk a lot about uh, um, the different comments and um and, and ratings and things like that that we're getting um, and we you know it's just it's part of what we need to do to stay on top of that and um, and respond to it basically yeah yeah, yeah. and and look you know, you know I think we're, we're, we're in an age today where every organization can get some level of of a digital feedback loop that was you know wasn't yeah. possible in years gone by so uh, you know it, it's you know, really, really uh, useful, but uh, yeah, it can be painful. I I talked um, with uh, with a friend a few weeks ago. He just bought this business, and when he bought it, it had I don't know whether it didn't have a Google listing or it just had a Google listing with virtually no reviews on it. And within um, within a, a a couple of weeks, he ended up he got one really bad review for. Uh, just a mix. I think it was probably the first weekend um, of it, you know, opening since he'd taken over, and um, and there was a mix-up with a key for access to this, you know, retail outlet, and someone gave them a one one star because they couldn't, you know, they they went there and couldn't get in, and then yeah. uh, they ended up with some something else. So it was, you know, very vocal, and I think trying to um, basically, you know, convince them to. Reduce the price, but they'd agreed to the price, and you know they'd been delivered the product, and uh, and and so on. And um, you see the really sort of harsh side of that, uh, um, you know that that stuff as well. And so it's it's a it's quite a fascinating area when it uh, when it comes to reviews. So um, and and any sort of you know digital feedback loop, because often you know people will. We'll just have you know zero empathy and oh yeah we'll give you you know one one star which is um, um, yeah that that's that's pretty you know pretty harsh on a on a business but you know we see all these sorts of things that uh, that happen but if you can sort of see through it and take the learnings that are there and then roll those back into uh, the future iterations of what you're doing and not take it too uh, too personally then uh, it'll it'll you know hopefully mostly plays out reasonably well. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, it's just part of um, it's just part of um, the business now. Um, so um, yeah, of course there are elements, in it. and it's interesting with um, anonymity. Uh, you know, online, I think um, it sometimes creates a bit of unbalanced feedback for, for different businesses, whether it be our own or some other business. But um, you know that might change a bit uh, if we see you know um, rollout of, of um, identification you know, or uh, tools um, for for web um, uh, f- you know for for web um, communication and interaction. 
uh, whether it be comments or, or reviews. But I, that might change a little bit the way that <laughs> the behaviour there um, for for very, you know, perhaps slightly unbalanced or um, harsh reviews. But at the same time, I think it just is part of the the world we live in today. It's just part of the business, you know. It's just part of our world. So it's um yeah generally it's 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 something that's actually probably pretty beneficial to us if we yeah. use it. Yeah. We use well, I think that, that that's that's the sort of take you that you've got to have. Um, mm. Now. It it looks like you've been you've been uh, if we look at the New Zealand um, app store for um, for the Marshall Bluetooth app, looks like you just need to sell more product because there's only one person in here who's uh, reviewed it. They maybe bought a product that isn't even compatible with the app because they were mean enough to give you one star on the basis <laughs> that the app can't find the headphones, and then in capitals they've got it says no device found. Um, which, which is pretty hard, but that's going to happen in sort of smaller markets like New Zealand, right? Where you're not necessarily, and this is quite common. I mean, not unique to um, you know to to your app because I quite you know quite regularly see this one, two, sort of three reviews, and then it's you know it's totally someone that's that's just you know you've got you don't have a review there from anyone that's actually sort of you know actually using the app, um, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it can be pretty harsh. But having said that, um, uh, was that Jim Smith who lives in uh, Hokitika? No, just kidding. This <laughs> 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 is New Zealand. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, no, I actually don't know who that is. But but um, um, to be to be fair, we we're actually working really hard on this at the moment. Um, we um, have the ambition to really improve our um, our offering for for our apps. Um, we um, like many companies, especially around our size, um, we sort of um, uh, rolled into the the, the apps uh, um, and digital features um, aspect of connected devices um, pretty rapidly uh, and. Um, in a way uh, that was just sort of trying to, to really respond and keep up with things like voice, um, Bluetooth connectivity and features that go with those, and the sort of expectation that, yeah, that these are extended experiences that we're designing. We're not just designing a thing, a physical thing. You actually you know, should get a set of features and services which complement the, the the physical thing that you buy, whether mm. it be speaker or headphone. So for us, um, we are... Um, that is something that is a real improvement point and we're actually working really hard i can say i can say we're working really hard on that right now um and what we see is that we have you know you have one chance if a customer uses um one of our products and then interacts with a digital feature via our app and they can't connect that's it bam you're you're out um you know it's just you you've you've lost the game <laughs> They're going to take the, they might take the product back to the store and refund yeah, it or yeah. you know yeah, yeah. And, and it's uh, I can tell you it's not easy to solve but uh, it's um, it's an absolute must and we're working very hard on improving that at the moment um, but that review um, you know it, it, it could have been a, actually a fair a fair review it might have happened to that person. Um, well, it was interesting. I had a look at um, there, there's um, a 
um, Ultimate Ears, not to be confused with your brand, Urban Ears. Um, I had a look at one of the, one of their apps for their um, their Blast and uh, Mega Blast product, and uh, on the App Store, you know, the two point five out of five. Um, you know, more one star reviews than anything else, and their you know the the review that sort of popped up was a was a similar. Um, you know, sort of thing can't connect to my, you know, my speaker through the app. So, you know, these are um, these are these are challenging things. And you know, I think you know anyone that that's you know a bit more sort of on the on the technical side, right? Um, you know, you'll have family, you'll have friends, all these people will come to you and ask to help with these things. Yeah. And um, they're not, you know, it's not necessarily easy. But your your challenge is to create a product. Uh, you know that always works and works for people that aren't, you know, necessarily going to, um, you know, understand what what troubleshooting steps you might take when uh, when some, some, something's not working and uh, you know reading instructions or you know whatever it is. What are the what are the common things that go wrong? And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's part of the part of the challenge. But I I like that you're. Uh, you're getting in there, and um, you know, de- determined to uh, you know to keep moving the needle needle forward on on those things. Um, I think there's there's probably a bunch more that we could uh, we could talk about, Nicola. But uh, we I think we're probably out, out of time. Uh, we want to let you get to the rest of your uh, your day. Thank you for getting up so early to uh, to chat. And you know, I hope you have a nice uh, upcoming summer in Sweden. Well. New Zealand uh, rapidly heads towards winter. Yeah, I hope we get some warm weather as well. You never know with the Swedish summer. <laughs> but thanks, thanks, Paul. Um, it was it's a pleasure to be able to just talk about design and um, and people and products. Um, you know, I could, uh, as you say, like I could probably <laughs> just talk all day. Uh, so uh, it's sort of it's it's um, extremely fun to Fantastic. work with. It. Yeah. Were there were there any uh, any other sort of closing comments? Anything else that you wanted to uh, you wanted to end with, um, Nicola? No, just say um, no. I probably should say something very like clear and concise right now. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we, I've, no. We've I've I've enjoyed, and I'm sure listeners will have um, enjoyed hearing a little bit about you know your your journey from you know, from studying at Vic through to, you know, what you're doing now and, uh, you know, being involved in the in the world of, you know, in industrial and what do you call your work now? Yeah, so uh, these days, you know, I'm, uh, I call myself a product designer and yeah. I'm doing design leadership. So I'm, I'm um, leading the team who are working with uh, the design of our products. So that's what I what I'm doing. It's a little easier for people to understand that when you say product design, um, industrial design is a, is a term which is um, people relate to things like factory mm, designing mm. factories. And so on. <laughs> but but I would just say um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity and um, uh, anyone you know who's interested in and in, and in working with um, the design of, of physical products, um, you know should um, really, you know, do research, uh, look into the, the different universities um, that are around both in New Zealand and, and globally, and then, you know, um, reach out to to professionals in the field um, like myself and others uh, for a conversation 
for new graduates um, also open for, for conversations and things like that all the time. Um, we're always looking for new partnerships and um, finding um, really great design talent. So give a little plug to those who want to make contact. Um, that's great. That's great. Yeah, thank you for offering that, Nicola. That's uh, that's really appreciated. All right, so if people wanting to track you down, um, you're on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, that's great. That's my main go-to place, as you, you found out, Paul, when we got to know each other. I don't have a lot yeah. of other social media. And you're also you're also on Clubhouse, so our, the sort of um, nightly Kiwi hangout that we do, and we've started doing a uh, a Tuesday night sort of Tech Tuesdays as well. So yeah, anyone that's interested in joining those uh, hangouts on Clubhouse, which is now available on, on Android, um, sort of, um, depending on when this podcast goes out. So uh, if you've got a um, US Play Store account, you can get it. I'm sure there are other ways of getting it at the moment, um, but it will be in the New Zealand Play Store uh, very soon, and certainly out on uh, I- iOS. Um, so. And you will find some uh, links on the NZ Tech Podcast website uh, if you're looking for an invite to get onto uh, onto Clubhouse. Now we're starting to put put those up, but that would be another way to um, possibly get a chance to chat to uh, Nicola directly, uh, as we we often catch uh, Nicola in our Clubhouse room, which is uh, is great. Thanks, Nicola. All right, we'll take care, and uh, thanks everybody for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks so much, Paul. All right, cheers. A special thank you to our partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible and are proud supporters of the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. They are Umbrella Connect, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP and Gorilla Technology. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.